I want you to think about this thought. Our belief determines where we will spend eternity, but our behavior determines how we will spend eternity. So when we believe right, we know Christ. We behave right, we enter into the promises and the blessings of God. And everything in this world is is really a bit of a laboratory or a preparation for the world that is to come. There's something wrong with a theology that says death can accomplish what could not be accomplished in life. You see, when we die and we enter into God's presence, we enter into that presence with a certain level of what we've done as God opens up the book of remembrance, the deeds that were done in this life. We're not saved by good works. We are saved unto good works. That is, we were saved that we might do what God has said to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That seems pretty clear. You love me, you do this. See, there is unmerited grace. In other words, God's grace to you is always freely given, but there is never unmerited rewards. Rewards come as a direct relationship to you and I, and God gets our attention with his word and by his spirit. Speaking of getting attention, I heard about an 85-year-old woman who went on a blind date with a 92-year-old man. She came home very frustrated, and her daughter said, Mom, what is wrong? She said, I had to slap him three times. The daughter said, You mean he tried to get fresh? She said, No, I thought he was dead. (laughs) Well, that's certainly one way to get your attention. You know, when we study the Word of God, it's exciting to see what God has to say in His Word about this subject of the blessed life. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 and 7. And as we talk about this today, I want you to begin to think about how God works in his kingdom and what God puts on this, let's call it the ladder of blessing, if I can. And just, we'll kind of fill that in as we go. But look what it says. But this I say unto you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, God just stops us right there and he says, now let me give you a basic law of the harvest that I'm going to reap in direct proportion to that which I sow. And that's true in every dimension of life, whether it's time, love, talent, money, whatever it might be, there's a direct proportion to this. If I sow sparingly, then I will reap in proportion that is sparingly. If I reap bountifully, if I reach a given generosity of my time, love, money, whatever, I'm going to reap back bountifully. But notice what it says here. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Now, here's what I found out uh, a long time ago, that some people, when it comes to giving, it is really painful. 
You say, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to give, and it's so painful, and I'm out of money, and this is not working for me, and it's the last bit of money that I have. What do I do? And so what Paul addresses here is that sometimes some people give grudgingly or out of necessity, and then some people give out of this idea of reason. And they say, well, it looks to me like uh, we need to somehow uh, take care of this. It makes sense. You know, I, I, I want to pay. I want to help. I want to do my part. And they give out of this idea of reasoning before it. Some people give out of regularity. And what they do is they just say, you know what? Um, I've got X number of dollars, and I'm going to give that on a regular basis. And, and this is going to be what I do. And I can well remember growing up, my dad, I don't think he ever calculated out, and maybe he did, but I don't remember it, but every week it was exactly the same amount, and he would write out a check, he'd put a little envelope, he'd put it on the counter there, and when we went to church, he would take it. If we missed a week or two, then he would get two envelopes, and he'd bring those. But he gave with regularity. Now, this one obviously is not a good way to give, is it? Painfully. I, oh, it hurts so bad, because it never stops hurting. And then some people give with reason. Well, it kind of makes sense, but if I don't have a good reason, I don't give. Some people give with regularity, and that's a good thing to put a pattern in your life. But I want to take you to some new levels here, and I want to show you what it says. He said, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is literally where we get our word, our English word, hilarious. And I've often said, wouldn't it be fun that you took the offering and people just started laughing during the offering? They said, I can't believe how much money I'm giving. Oh, that's so funny. Let me take this ring off. Let me take this watch off. Oh, here's a title to my car. This is so exciting. And nudging the person next to you, hey, get in your wallet. Get a little deeper there. This is so much fun. Never seen it happen. I pray it'll happen one day. Anybody like to see that happen one day? Raise your hand. Like three of you. And the rest of you are going to miss that Sunday. Okay. So God loves a cheerful giver. God wants your attitude to be right in what you're giving. In other words, God says, I'd rather you not give if you give this way. I'd rather you just keep it. That way you don't have to deal with all the pain. Don't give out of that. And he said, you know what? And really out of reason, I'd really rather you not give on that way. And regularity is a first step. But I want to take you to the next step. And that's what on this ladder is called a tithe. Now, we talked about this last week, if you were here, and a tithe is literally just, the word literally means a tenth. In fact, we get our English word, the the word dime actually comes out of a word that means a tenth, and that's where the dime came from. So, the tithe is the beginning of this whole process of what God wants to do in our life. Then, the next rung of that ladder is what's called an offering, and an offering is anything that's above 10%. But there's another level, and I want to talk to you about this, and it's called supernatural. And this is where I begin to to move from here to here into this realm where it doesn't make any sense, and I begin to see this divine flow of God in a supernatural dimension that I never could have imagined before. Because really, the tithe belongs to the Lord. That's His. And the Bible says in Malachi that when we honor God with this, that He opens up the windows of heaven. But when we begin to go in the offering area, in the supernatural area, it's pretty amazing. Let me tell you a story, true story about a friend of mine. He played football at Memphis State. Then he got recruited by the Dallas Cowboys. He got cut the first year, and he said, I really discovered I was not in my league at all, right? 
And so I, when I met him, he was living in St. Louis, and uh, Tammy and I and, and uh, his wife, were, we were all friends together, and our boys played together with their boys about the same age. And I remember one Sunday, I gave this message on tithing, and I was going to have lunch with him the next day. And we're walking at, to lunch in downtown St. Louis, and as we're walking, he looked at me and he said, you know, that tithing thing really bothers me. And I said, really? He said, yeah, I can't afford to do that. Now, he'd just taken me to a nice restaurant. He'd gone, taken me to his office, and it was a very nice office. And he, he had a very, what appeared to be a very good job. He lived in a very nice house. And I, and I said to him, I said, how is it you can't afford to tie that you seem to be doing well? He said, well, I have like two country club memberships. And, and he went and started to list reasons why he couldn't. And I looked at him, and I said, do you think just one membership would be enough? And it was almost like he never thought about it. Just never, thought never crossed his mind. Well, time went on, and, and uh, he moved away from St. Louis. We moved away from St. Louis, and we lost track of each other. And then I was doing some doctoral work down in Houston. And so I traveled down there, and I, I called him up, and I said, hey, I'd love to come see you. And so uh, I, he arranged it, and we, we set up a time, and he, here's my home address. Just come on over, and, and my wife will cook us dinner. When I got to his uh, address, I thought, well, this can't be right. It was this, the biggest house I'd ever seen. I thought, well, he really has never got a hold of this tithe, apparently. He's just buying houses is what he's doing. So I pulled in, and, I, and it, was, it was a mansion. It was the biggest house I think I'd ever been in at that time in my life. And uh, so as we ate, and I said, well, it looks like, John, you're doing pretty well here. I said, how, and I just brought it back. You know, pastors are good at stuff like this. You know, can I just bring this back to you? Hey, how's that coming with the tithing? He said, great. And he stopped right there. And I said, what do you mean great? He said, I've gone beyond the tithe. He said, you know, when I moved, I decided I was going to take the challenge that you gave. Where God says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. And he said, so I started giving 10%, and then I decided I would go up a percent every opportunity I could. And he said, now I'm giving 30% of what I have. And he said, every time I give, God blesses me more. Now, that story might seem odd to you because you say, well, yeah, that's great. He had a good job and things were, you know, all the things. But you see, the principle is always the same. That God has a way to operate within the kingdom. When we cooperate with God, we see the benefits of what God does in our life. And what we want to do is we want to just cooperate with God and see what God has to do. And John Wesley said this, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. I value all things based on, in terms of their value, of the price they shall bring in eternity. Yesterday, we were out with some friends, and we got in a dialogue with a couple of guys, and, and as we were talking to these guys, they were retired, and we were just talking about life and talking a little bit about uh, the whole ministry we're going to do for cops. And, and as we were talking about that, the one man uh, had a Vietnam hat on. And he began to tell about his experience in Vietnam and about how he was glad to serve and how hard it was to come home and not be welcomed home. And if you know of a Vietnam uh, person who served in Vietnam, you always want to shake their hand and say, welcome home, because they didn't get that when they came home. And then he began to tell us that he was, uh, uh, he was suffering from cancer because of Agent Orange. And my heart went out to him, and I, I, I reached over, and I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, can we just pray for you right now? 
And I began to pray for him in this public setting with people all around. There there were the four of us kind of praying, and we were praying for this man who has Agent Orange. Said amen. You could tell it, it affected him. It was a deep thing for me. I'll tell you the rest of that story in a minute. That particular uh, ailment that came because of Agent Orange was particularly important to me. Because years ago, I was asked to do a funeral. It was a funeral of some kids who got in a car wreck, and the, and the, wreck, the car caught on fire, and all four of the students were, were killed in that fire. And two of the students I was asked to do a funeral for. And you can imagine how tragic a, a moment that was for 16, 17-year-old kids to lose their life. And the entire high school, it looked like, showed up at the funeral. When I gave the invitation, over almost, nearly 300 kids gave their life to Jesus Christ that day. And that's a miracle of God, amen? And then as I, as I gave that invitation, I noticed there was a man standing over in the corner. He was a bit of a recluse. I didn't know him, didn't recognize him. He was fairly tall, had long hair, had a beard. He walked up to me and he asked me a question I've never been asked before. He said, what is it you would like to do in your ministry that you don't have enough money to do? And I didn't even know how to answer. I was totally unprepared for a question like that. I'm more, uh, I'm more based on, you know, I've got to help a guy get through the pain of giving, right? This guy says, I don't even know him. And I said, I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. He said, well, have you ever thought about Christian radio? I said, yeah, but it's pretty expensive. No, what would you like to do if money was not an issue? And he said, check on that and give me a call. Here's my card. So I checked on it. I found out how much it was going to be, and it was fairly expensive, and it was going to be five days a week. It was going to cover uh, all of one state, part of another state, and into Canada. And I said, I got good news and bad news. It's available, and here's the bad news. And I told him the amount, and I think it was about $20,000. He said, okay, come on over to my office and get a check. And I'm thinking, really? So I drive over to his office, and his office was about half the size of this room, the lights were extremely dim. He had, a, he had a very, very unusual personality about him. And he handed me a check, and he said, uh, let me know when you run out, and I'll give you another one. And I left there thinking, what just happened? And so he called me up later uh, in that month, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about it. What about Christian television? Would you like to be on Christian television? And I said, well, that's kind of expensive. And he said, well, don't worry about that. Find out how much it is and come over to my office again. And I found out, I called him up, I went over to his office, and I told him how much it was, and he wrote me a check. He said, and let me know when that one runs out, and I'll give you another one. About a week later, he calls me up, and he says, uh, you know, I've got about 300 employees here, and what I'd really like to do is I'd really like to have a weekly Bible study in the lunchroom. Would you come and do a Bible study in the lunchroom? And I said, well, what if all of them don't want to participate in a Bible study? He says, well, then they can go eat somewhere else. I'm thinking, I love this guy. I love this guy. And so I started doing a Bible study there, and about 80% of them stayed. Many of them got saved. Many of them started coming to church. About a week later, he calls me up, and he said, don't your kids go to a Christian school? I said, they do. And he said, do they have like a gymnasium and a workout area and all that? I said, well, they have like a gym, but they don't have like workout equipment. He said, okay, then I'm going to have arranged to have all this put over. You're going to have a, a full facility gym in your, in your school, and I'll pay for it. Well, this went on for about three or four months, and I noticed that Dave was starting to get thinner and thinner, and I thought, there's something wrong with Dave. Dave's not well. 
And I said to him one day when I was talking to him, by the way, Dave never came to church. He never darkened the door of the church. Not one time. Said he was a Christian, but never went to church. Never knew why, never would tell me why. And I said to him, Dave, I said, I noticed you're getting very thin. And I said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but are you sick? He said, I was in Vietnam. I was in Delta Force and I got an Agent Orange and I have cancer and I'm dying. But the army keeps me alive because I still work for the army and I do a lot of stuff with electronics that I can't talk to you about. So the army flies me to Bethesda, Maryland once a month. And what they're doing is they're just trying to keep me alive because of what I know and what I can do. I have a very special, special operation that I do. And I said, well, you know, I was reading here in the Bible, and it said about, you know, if you're sick, you can, uh, you know, uh, call, and they'll anoint, uh, the elders can anoint you with oil, and, and the prayer of faith will heal. And he says, well, just oil me all over. And I said, well, I don't think that's necessary. And at that time in my life, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was fairly much, pretty much a rookie when it came to this whole thing of prayer and healing, and I still feel like I'm an amateur. I was a rookie, and now I'm an amateur. But, but I said, you know, I'm just going to pray for you, and we're going to put some oil on your head, and I'm going to just pray for your healing. And I said, Dave, I don't, as far as I know, I don't have a gift of healing. As far as I know, I, I don't have any, all I do is just do what the Word of God says and it, see what God does. That's all I know to do. He said, I, okay, well, you go ahead and pray for me. And then he said, uh, next week I'm going to Bethesda and they're going to check me again. It's my monthly time and, and I'll let you know what happened. So I, I oiled Dave up, prayed for Dave, sent Dave off. He called me from Bethesda, Maryland. And he said, Phil, you're not going to believe this, but they've done a complete scan. They've done all the work. They've done everything. He said, I have no cancer. No cancer. Now, let me ask you a question. What was, what was that all about? Was it about the nearly 300 kids that came to faith in Christ? Was it about expanding the gospel and the kingdom through the airways? Was it about the Bible study? Was it about Dave being healed? What was it all about? It was about none of that. It was about the glory of God. It's never about us. Giving is never about us. It's about Him. It's an act of worship. When I give, I say, you are worthy. That's where our word worship comes from. You are worthy, God. Here, I give unto you because you're worthy. I don't give to get. I give because He is worthy of all praise and all glory. David Livingstone put it this way, I place no value on anything that I possess except in relation to the kingdom of God. What do you really have that's worth anything? What do you have that time will not take away? What do you have that sickness will not rob you from? What do you have that thieves and rust will not take away? Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, not here on earth. In other words, invest in the things that are eternal. Robert Morris put it like this, once you give cheerfully, God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always, always have all sufficiency in all things. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions. 
and the first fruits of all your increase. Did you know the first is holy unto God? The firstborn is considered holy unto God. Jesus was the firstborn and he was offered up as a sacrifice. Jesus was God's tithe unto, a, unto the world. You see, the firstborn either had to be redeemed or sacrificed. And when we give out of the first, and what we're talking about here is, people ask me this all the time, and I always chuckle. I think this question will go on for eternity. I wish God would have just put a verse that was really clear instead of just kind of clear. All right? And here's the question. Well, do I tithe on the gross or the net? Okay, and here's my answer. What's the first fruits? Who gets first, the government or God? See, that's first fruit. See, because you say, well, you know what? But that's a lot of money because let's just use it like this. Let's say that I made $100, okay? My tithe would be how much? $10, good. We got mathematicians in the house. I love it. Okay, but let's just say out of that, let's just say after taxes, if you're lucky, you get $70. Now I get to, okay, so we're talking about $3 difference here. And, and so I say, God, if I, could just, if I could just take $3 away and put it in my account, then I wouldn't have to worry about anything. And God says, well, do you want to be blessed on this or on this? Well, yeah, but that, that $3 can come in pretty handy. And if I put more zeros by it, it even seems bigger, right? Let's just suppose we put it more like this. Now it doesn't look as fun, does it? Now it's $3,000. So here's how we pray. God, I just pray that you will make my salary commensurate with this income so I don't have to worry about paying this much out. That doesn't sound fun, right? Because when I was first saved and I started tithing, you know, and I was making, let's say I made $100 a week, $10 seemed pretty easy. But if you put another zero by that one or another zero by that one, you say, wait a minute, we're getting kind of serious here, God, about this giving thing. Now, I know, God, you're a good God, but God, aren't you, don't you own the cattle on a thousand hills, gold, gold and silver is yours? Do you really need my $3? I mean, seriously, God, let's just really sit down and talk about this a little bit. But you see what we have to understand, it's not about whether God needs it. It's not about whether you can make it without it. It's about worshiping God and honoring God. That's all it's about. And, and God says, you know, try me on this one, see what happens. Let me take you to another scripture here. Second Corinthians, we're going to keep going in Second Corinthians 9. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Do you think God is able to do that? Isn't it funny? I can trust God for my salvation, but something like $3 or $10 is hard for me to trust God for. Why is that? You know why? Because money has a power over us, doesn't it? It has power over us. I love, uh, I was in uh, Starbucks the other day, and they have a little donation, they have a little tip jar there. And I love standing there, and if you have, the, the way to avoid the tip is use your credit card, okay? If you want to just avoid the tip and the conviction, uh, use the credit card, right? But if you have cash, I always watch people, and, and they'll get like 30 cents back. And I'll watch them, they'll look at that, and they'll throw the nickel in. Right? Throw the nickel in. They won't throw the quarter in and keep the nickel. They'll throw the, and I'm thinking, you know what? Are you really, why don't just keep the nickel we're going to divide a nickel up among 10 employees, and they're going to go home so happy. Amen? 
All right, now, look what else it says. So God says, I'm going to make all grace abound toward you that always having all sufficiency, you may have an abundance for why? For every good work. You know what God says? When you give, guess what? You're going to have an ability to do good works. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let me take you to this one. This is a powerful scripture. Deuteronomy 8, we're going to use some select verses and begin in verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. You ever forget God? I don't mean you just know he's there all the time. You ever just kind of forget God? He says, beware that you don't forget the Lord your God when you have eaten and are full. Have built beautiful houses to dwell in them. When your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is filled up and you forget the Lord your God, then you say in your heart, by my power and by my might and by my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Wow, it's easy. You know, if things are going pretty well, you forget God. God says, don't forget, I gave you even the ability to do that, to earn that. 2 Corinthians, let's keep going in this scripture, chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower. Now, think about that thought right there. Here's a good thought. Where does the sower get his seed? The Bible says here from God. Where do you get what you have from God? Where do you get your breath? from God? Where do you get your life? From God. Where do you get everything you have? From God. From God. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, look at this. He will supply and multiply the seed that you have what? What's the word? Sown. You mean he won't multiply the seed unless I sow it? That's exactly right. I have to put it in the ground, let it die so it comes forth. How did Jesus bring forth first fruits of redemption, of righteousness, of you and I? He had to go in the ground. He had to die that he could come forth and then multiply his efforts around the world. You see, he was sown and he was resurrected in life. And that's what happens. When I reach in my pocket and I pull out, here's a $5 bill. If I take this $5 bill and I give it, it's gone. I can't spend it. What? I want to go get it back. Now, I've never had anybody ask for their giving back. You know, I think you're just too embarrassed, right? Just too embarrassed. I always thought a, a 90-day challenge for tithing would be a good idea. Hey, tithe for 90 days. If, if God doesn't bless you, we'll give your money back. Why not, right? That's a good deal. Believe on God. See what God can do. But when I take that $5 bill and I tuck it back here, I'm going, well, God... What are you doing with that $5 bill? Don't worry about it. It's got to die. You got to die to that $5 bill. Yeah, but I'm thinking about my $5 bill. Don't think about your $5. It's dead. It's gone. Done, right? Okay, so here's what he says. He says, when you, when you sow it, guess what I'm going to do? He's going to supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now watch this. Not only does God then bring back that, but he gives me this ability to extend the fruits of righteousness while you are enriched in everything. So all parts of your life become better. You know, one of the reasons why I give, I love the way I feel when I give. I like, you know, I go, I just, that feels good. You know, you've heard me give the illustration of holding the door open. Have you ever held the door open for somebody and they said thank you and just made your day, right? 
How many have had that experience? How many of you have ever opened the door for somebody, right? Okay, let me just get you down where you really live. Okay, how about when you open the door and somebody doesn't say thank you? How do you feel then? You don't feel good. Well, hey, you know, I opened the door for you. And then sometimes you go, hey, you're welcome. Why'd you do it? See, if it was going to cause you pain, you shouldn't have done it. If you wanted reward, you shouldn't have done it. You have to say, I want to honor, I want to do what is good. I want to honor someone and open the door for them and not expect anything in return. But God says, you can expect from me, I'm going to bring you back a return. He says, I'm going to give you, look at, you're going to be enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thank, thanksgiving through God to us. You heard me talk about the, uh, the corn that we planted with my little boys years ago. We went out in the backyard, we planted Indian corn. We envisioned stock after stock, feeding hungry pilgrims all across America, right? And when it grew, it, we got one little ear on that corn. One little ear. It was embarrassing. It was shameful, right? What it did. But the law of the harvest worked. I went over to the grocery store and I bought some ears of corn and I counted the kernels on them. And it's not easy to do. You have to take a marker if you want to do it and put a little dot on every one of them so you know where you are. But each ear has 640 kernels on an average. Each stalk has two ears. Some have three. So a kernel multiplies itself 1,280 times. If I take those kernels off the first generation and I plant those in the ground, now the multiplier becomes, it multiplies itself, the new number comes 1,537,600. Now think about that math. Wall Street's not giving you those kind of odds, are they? You, you plant one, you're going to get 640, no, 1,280, could be even more than that, but you plant that next generation, and all of a sudden those 1,280 begin to multiply, and that number becomes 1.5 million. Why does that work that way? Because God operates by law of the harvest. And here's the law of the harvest. Number one, you reap what you sow. Law of the harvest. Write this down. It's so, it's so simple, but it's so basic. You reap what you sow. Number two. You reap more than you sow. This is God's law of multiplication. You reap more than you sow. Number three, you reap later than you sow. There's a time of harvest. You know, what that, you know why I think God put that time into the harvest? For our faith to grow. For the wait for the expectation of what is God going to do. Because you see, in delay, what do we do? Hey, God, are you coming through? Are you doing anything? God, 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 I gave my $5. Where is the return? God says, I'm building faith. It's more important than I build faith than you get a return right now. It's more important that you walk in obedience and you worship me right now. So you're going to reap later than you sow. But here's the thing. You cannot reap unless you sow. Well, why don't God bless me? And then when God blesses me, I'm going to go ahead and honor him. No, that's not the way it works. I sow and I reap. I sow and I reap. I sow and I reap. I want you to do an experiment when you leave here today. I want you to go up to five people you don't know. If you can't do five, do at least three. Go up to three to five people you don't know. Smile at them and shake their hand and say, good to see you today and see how they respond. Instead of just rushing out of here, trying to get our, talk to your own friend, talk to them and just see what they do. See if in return they smile at you. See if in return they shake your hand. 
See the response, because you know what you're doing? You're sowing kindness. You're sowing a welcoming spirit. See if they return that back. Go into a store that you visit once in a while. Walk up to somebody and say, boy, you're looking good today. I'm so happy to see you. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that one. You might get in trouble. Hey, so good to see you. Are you having a good day? You're not telling them to look good. You might get slapped, all right? But anyway, here's the idea. Why is that coming back? Because you're sowing into something really good into a person. Now, let me give you some life applications. Here's the first one. God established the law of the harvest, watch this, for your benefit, not for his. God says, I'm going to show you how this works. And so as, I, as you begin to cooperate with the law of the harvest, guess what? You're going to benefit from this. You're going to see a direct result. Number two, God provides what he requires. God provides what he requires. That's always a principle of God. God says, live a holy life. I say, I can't. Yes, you can. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. God always provides what he requires from you. Number three, God's release awaits your release. God says, when you release, you watch what I do. Just release, watch what I do. Release, watch what I do. I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something amazing. You remember the story I told you earlier about the two guys that we prayed for, the one man that had Agent Orange? sitting there at this little outdoor restaurant, and all of a sudden, here comes a portion of, of, of our bill that was taken care of. And we said to the gal, well, what, what's this all about? She said, well, the guy that you prayed for who has Agent Orange sent this over to you. I prayed for him without any expectation. He reduced my bill without out of gratitude, I suppose. And then they all came over and we began to talk to them, get to tell them all about Jesus Christ, what it means to have a relationship with God. You know why? Because we sowed into them prayer. And God was bringing that back, bringing that back. Whenever you sow, anything you sow, you're going to reap it back. I promise you, sometimes it comes in different forms, different expressions, different times later, and you can't even expect it. And if you expect it to come, don't, you're probably not going to see it. But just pour into people, pour into life, pour into the right kind of stuff, and God is going to bring an amazing increase in your life. And if you're a skeptic, give your skepticism to God. You know, sometimes... I'm talking to somebody about receiving Christ, and they'll say, well, I just don't have the faith. I say, why don't you just pretend you have the faith and try it? They go, will that work? And I say, why don't we try that? And I'll say, would you just pray a prayer like this one with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried and you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And I'll ask them to pray that after me. I've never had anyone where I said, just try, that they didn't come away saying, you know, God just saved me. Because what happened was I entered into that idea of faith. I was talking to a man the other day. And he said, uh, he said, does your faith ever go up and down? Does it ever down? I said, I don't think my faith in God goes down. I think my life experiences challenge my faith. But I think my faith is pretty constant. And he said, I don't know how you do it. And I said, he said, I need more faith. And I said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know all you have to do to increase your faith is read the word of God. Just read it. He goes, I can't do that. I said, you can read one verse. Trust me, you can read one verse. What we want to do is increase the level of faith in our life. Amen. 
We want to see what God can do in us and through us. And we want to walk in the miraculous life of God. Is it going to be easy? No. There'll be times it'll challenge you, but you know it'll always be worth it. Walking with God is always, always worth it. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray this morning, God, we pray that you might just take all the words that we have given you, Father. We'll take all the, all the, the, the investment of your word back in us, God, and we will just be people of faith. God, that we will see what your hand can do in us and through us, God. And God, when we release whatever we're sowing into this world, God, whatever we release into this world, God, we believe and we call upon your word to bear witness to our faith. That you will do everything you said you will do. You'll not, you'll not somehow pull back. You're a consistent God. And so, God, we're just going to honor you in everything we do. We're going to say, God, we're going to take you at your word, whether it's for healing, whether it's for giving, whether it's sowing and reaping in any area, and we believe you are a God who takes care of us. And we want to honor you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, where are you going to be tonight? What's going on tonight? Let's say it together. Car show. Car show, summer nights, we want you to all come, bring your friends. We're going to have a bunch of, uh, of really great uh, food trucks here. We're going to have fun together. It's going to be a great time. Amen? Amen. You don't really say it like you mean Amen? Amen? Oh, that's much better. All right. Hey, guys, let me just bless you as you go out. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May you influence your world for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day, guys.